One of our convictions here at Calvary is that the scriptures, all of them, from Genesis to Revelation, are inspired by God, and the whole thing, every word of it, is profitable for us. And so as a result, as a church, we spend our time going through Uh, the passages of the Bible, systematically, passage by passage, book by book. We started on the book of Genesis in September, and Lord willing, we will finish it around August time. 50 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we're going to spend something like 47 weeks working our way through the book of Genesis. And what this means is, is that by doing that, Uh, we don't get to sort of skip over passages we might not want to talk about. And that's a blessing, even though it's difficult. And the blessing is, is that it keeps us from sort of just talking about the things we might want to talk about or culture might want us to talk about or things that might be easy to listen to. We're trying to talk through, preach through, think through, pray through everything that God has to say. Which means we get to passages like Genesis 34, which is about sexual assault. Now on one hand, nobody really wants to talk about this in a forum like this. On the other hand, I'm super grateful that God does not avoid really difficult subjects. And I'm really grateful that God is honest with us about how life actually works. And that for those who have experienced the horrors, the story we're going to look at is grim and sad, but it's reality. And that for those who have experienced the reality of sexual assault or know those who have gone through it, I'm grateful that God does not shy away from the reality of how this works and that in the midst of it, he has hope to speak to us in the night. And while at first glance when we look at this story, it may appear that there are no heroes in the story, There is one who is at work, subtly, behind the scenes that you might miss, but who when we see how God is present in between the lines, I hope it gives us faith that he sees us, that he's with us as we're going through even the most horrific and difficult things in life. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 34. If you want to use a Bible that the church provides, we would be super honored that you think enough of God and his word to follow along with us. In those Bibles, it's page 28. Page 28, it's Genesis 34. In this story, I think there is something that God has to say to those who have uh, been the victims of sexual assault, which includes men, women, and children. I think God has something to say to those who are around or love those who have been through this, to think about how to respond when something like this happens. And God also has something to say to those who have perpetrated sexual assaults. In addition, uh, God has something to say about the hope he has for all of us in this. So let me tell you the story that's in Genesis 34, uh, and then we'll talk through uh, each of the characters as they appear in the story. Jacob 
if you'll remember at this point in his life, has 11 sons and one daughter. The daughter's name is Dinah. And the opening line of our story is that Dinah is out with the women of the land, meaning she's hanging out sort of in the land. A man named Shechem, who is a Canaanite, a Hivite uh, to be precise, he is the son of the king of the Hivites. He sees Dinah and wants her. And the text simply says that he takes her and he rapes her. Afterwards, his heart is actually drawn towards Dinah and he decides he wants to marry her. So Shechem says to his father, Hamor, who is the king of the Hivites, go get that girl for me. Hamor then, Hamor then enters into negotiations with Jacob, who although he has come to find out that his daughter has experienced the sexual assault, says nothing about it and does nothing about it but enters into negotiations to potentially give his daughter Dinah to the man who sexually assaulted her in marriage. Well, Dinah has two, uh, she has multiple full brothers. You may remember from Jacob's stories, we got multiple wives here and we've got multiple children. But two of Dinah's full brothers, Simeon and Levi, find out what has happened to their sister. And they are absolutely enraged. So they join the negotiations and they say to Hamor and to Shechem, hey look, we're willing to let our sister marry Shechem, but there is a condition. And the condition is, is that none of the people in your town, none of the men in your town are circumcised and if you want us to intermarry with you, you're going to have to get circumcised. And so Hamor and Shechem talk it over with the people of the town and say, hey, look, this will be a good deal for us. We should do this. And so they agree uh, to be circumcised. What they don't realize is that Simeon and Levi are deceiving them. They have no intention of ever letting Dinah marry Shechem. And so after the town goes through the surgical procedures and are recovering, they are incapacitated Simeon and Levi break into the town and kill all the men. They take the children and the women uh, and the possessions as plunder. When Jacob finds out what is going on, he is furious with the boys. And he says to them, you've painted a bullseye on our back. Now everybody's going to come after us. And the last line of the chapter is, but they replied, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? It's a hard story, it's a dark story, but there is hope in the story. Let's start first with the person who created the mess, which is Shechem. He is the perpetrator, he is the one who engages in sexual assault, it is his sin that causes this catastrophic series of events. It says in verse two, 
when Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. This sexual assault is an exercise of power. Shechem is the son of a ruler. He's used to getting what he wants. He simply says it, and it comes to pass, and he treats this woman as if she's some sort of object to possess. He sees her, he wants her, and he exercises power simply to take what he wants from her. But then a strange thing happens. Verse three says, his heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. There's another sexual assault story in the Bible. Happens years later, or it's recorded years later, between a man named Amnon and a woman named Tamar. In that story, the opposite occurs. After Amnon assaults Tamar, he begins to hate her with a demonic hatred. Shechem here is different in the sense of his response feels like it's opposite, but if you look very carefully, it's not that different. At first glance, it sounds like, well, hey, better what Shechem is doing than what Amnon does. Better that his heart is drawn to her. Well, maybe they can sort of get married and make this all okay. But look what he says in verse four. Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. That is not godly love. So please don't be mistaken by the fact that he says, it says that his heart was drawn to her he still views her as an object for him to possess, this time simply through marriage. And the truth of the reality is, is that Shechem, although he thinks he is powerful, is in, in fact enslaved to sin that has overcome him. And he is making decisions, not on the basis of what God would have him do but simply on the basis of his cravings and the desires of who he is. And in here is a word of warning to any who have or might consider engaging in sexual assault. The fact that Shechem's heart is drawn to Dinah reminds us that sexual assault can even happen when affection is present, like in dating relationships or even in marriage. But the word of warning in this passage to those who might perpetrate such things is you might think that you are powerful and you might think that you are exercising power. But the reality is to engage in such behavior is to enslave yourself to sin. And please, please be forewarned. The wages of sin is always, always, always the same. It's death. Death is waiting for Shechem in this passage. 
and death is waiting for you. But by the grace of God and the fear of the Lord, repent from such things and turn from such wickedness and such evil and find that there is a God who loves you enough to forgive you and is powerful enough to set you free from the kind of behavior which will only end up in your destruction and death. Please, heed the warning that God is giving you this morning. Those who engage in sexually assaulting another person will not escape the death, destruction, and the discipline that comes from the God of the universe. The story also includes the opportunity to think through those who are responding to someone who has been sexually assaulted. There are three people three groups of people, I guess, who have a chance to respond to Dinah. The first is Hamor, who is Shechem's father. Any father whose son commits an act that Shechem does, the proper response is to repudiate such act not to try to go and get the daughter and marry her to your son. But Hamor is not interested in what might be pleasing to God. He is interested in what is pleasing to his son and to others. Listen carefully to what Hamor says to the people that he is governing how he tries to sell the idea of getting circumcised because in it you will hear a glimpse into his character and you will realize that Shechem came to his attitude from his father and the people among whom he lives. Verse 21, Hamor has to go and sell this idea of all of their people being circumcised so that Shechem can marry Dinah. Verse 21, Hamor says to the men of the city, these men, Jacob and his sons, are friendly toward us, they said. Let them live in our land and trade in it. The land has plenty of room for them. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. But the men will agree to live with us as one people only on the condition that our males be circumcised as they are. And then watch the next verse. Won't their livestock, their property, and all their animals become ours? So let us agree to their terms, and they will settle among us. Hamor wants to pillage and, quote-unquote, rape Jacob and take from them their possessions. This is not an honorable thing that they want to do. Hamor is viewing Jacob as someone to be taken from what he wants. It's the same attitude that Shechem has. He's not viewing people the way God views them. As children to be loved. He's viewing others as opportunity to get what he wants from them. 
This is why in the country in which we live today, we have to ask the question, how do so many people get away with sexual assault? Why are coaches and doctors allowed to do this to athletes? Why are politicians allowed to do this to staffers? Why are business people allowed to do this for people who work for them? It's because we're like Hamor. That in this country, we don't want to say anything that might rock the boat. That we don't want to prevent anything from increasing our stock portfolio or the favorite team that we root for or the politician we think are going to pass laws that we want to have passed. At the heart of both of these things is acts of selfishness. We want what we want from people and we're willing to look the other way or not ask too many questions or not believe the accusations because we don't want anything to stop the things we think we're getting from these people. Hamor's not interested in right and wrong. He's interested in what he can get for his son and what his people can get from Jacob. And sadly, the truth of the matter is the same is true in the Christian church way too often. There are people in positions of influence and power who are Shechem's. Yet many of us don't want to ask those questions. We don't want to believe those accusations because these are speakers we like to hear or they lead ministries that we work for or there's somebody that we have touted to others as being a hero in the faith and we don't want to face the fact that they may be involved in this kind of activity. Yes, there is the reality of false accusations. In just a few chapters, Joseph is going to be falsely accused of sexual assault. But please, friends, let's face the reality. There are many more Dinahs than there are Josephs. And that, to be honest, in the Christian church, sometimes we look a little like Hamor. And we don't want to name what is wrong as being wrong. There's a second person who has a chance to respond, and that's Jacob. Jacob's response is that he does nothing. He doesn't say anything about it. He actually enters into negotiations to marry his daughter to this man who assaulted her. You get a couple of hints of how messed up Jacob's heart is on this from the opening and closing lines of the chapter. Verse one. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Jacob's daughter. Leah's the unloved wife. And her kids, 
are not loved by Jacob the way they're supposed to be loved. And so God's left us a little subtle hint. Jacob doesn't really view this girl as his daughter. Look even what her full brothers say in verse 31 as they close the story. When they are responding to Jacob saying, you're the dad, why didn't you do something? They say, should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? What did they not say? Your daughter. And whether it's because of a lack of love or fear, we've already seen how Jacob is dysfunctional in being passive and inactive in his own family. Here it is played out in the worst possible way. And Jacob represents that some of us when we hear about sexual assault, when someone we know has gone through something like this, we simply clam up. We want it to just go away. We just want to bury our head in the sand. We just want to say, can't you just get over it? We're like Jacob and simply trying to ignore the fact that a person made in God's image who God desperately loves has been hurt and wounded in such a terrible way. And Jacob just wants the whole thing to go away. The third response is from Simeon and Levi. And you might initially think, well, at least they do something. And it is true that they hear about what's happened to Dinah and they are enraged. The problem is, they've gone way overboard. They've lied to the people and they kill not only Shechem and Hamor, but everybody else. This represents the response to sexual assault whereby we who have seen something like this happen are consumed with revenge, hatred, and rage. God is not for their deception. And God is not for their rampant killing of people who had nothing to do with this. Simeon and Levi represent the fact that it's tempting for some of us to want to take matters into our own hands. That God is judge and jury and we are not. And that while Christians can and should denounce such evil and that while Christians can and should report such things to the authorities, that in the end, we are not in a position to mete out hatred, revenge, rage or violence, whether in actions or simply in our thoughts. And so we're left with three responses in this story, none of which are good. Which leaves us with just one more person to talk about. And that's Dinah. 
And in this, I hope that the Lord has something to say to those here who have suffered the hands of others in this area. And in it, there's a few things that we see God doing which show us a proper response, but also are meant to be words of encouragement to those who've experienced something like what Dinah experienced. The first thing that God does for Dinah, it's subtle, it's hidden, but if you look carefully, it's there. The first thing that God does for Dinah as he tells her story. If you read through the book of Genesis, Genesis 34 stands out because it's not really part of the narrative at all. It doesn't advance the plot. The story of Genesis about how God takes this man Abraham is gonna create the nation of Israel and we've got Abraham, then we've got Isaac, then we've got Jacob, then we're gonna go with Joseph into Egypt and we've got a narrative that we're following, an important story and the Dinah story doesn't fit into it at all, meaning nothing has happened in the story that advances the plot. We don't find out any more about the nation of Israel. We don't find anything more about Jacob's kids. We don't find out how this is all gonna turn out and going to Egypt. And the question is, why is this story here? And the answer is, is because Dinah is God's daughter. And so he is telling her story. The problem is, is that people who have experienced sexual assault think their story doesn't matter to anybody. I think that nobody wants to hear it. But God not only wants to hear it, he wants to tell it. Because you matter to him. And Jacob may not have acknowledged Dinah as his daughter, but God does. And God spends an entire chapter in his internal, infallible word telling you and I the story of Dinah because he's seen every detail of it. He's grieved over it. He's walked with her through it. And so for those who think that they are invisible, you may be invisible to the society around us. You may even be invisible to your own family. But you are not invisible to God. You are his daughter You are his son. Your story matters to him. God is not simply just trying to bring about the whole world and how it all works and salvation history and Jesus coming back. He cares about you. The second thing I think God does for Dinah, which is really powerful, is in verse two. It's how God wrote this story. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. Notice it does not say he allegedly raped her. The kindness of God is that he's written Dinah's story the way it actually happened. Dinah may not have been able to prove in a court of law that she had been assaulted. 
She may not have been able to marshal enough evidence to be able to prove in the court of public opinion that she had been assaulted. But she doesn't have to prove anything to God. God sees your story exactly the way it happened. And the kindness of the Lord to Dinah is he does not allow the confusion that people like to throw in fake news and denials and lies and deceits. God is the way, the truth, and the life. And the kindness that he does for Dinah and to all who experience this is that he knows the truth. And he interacts with you the way it is. One of the most frustrating things when you read commentators on this passage is a number of commentators, especially older commentators, try to blame some of what happened on Dinah. They take the phrase, she went out with the women of the land and say she must have been dressed provocatively. She must have done something to bring this about, but notice very clearly the only person that God blames for what happens is Shechem. Deuteronomy 22 says that Dinah is innocent. And one of the kindnesses of God to those who experience sexual assault, you don't have to convince him what happened. Nobody else may believe you. Nobody else may have even been there. You yourself may not even remember all of the details. But your heavenly father is not and cannot be deceived. And he will not tell this story in such a way that it is muddled and confused as to who did what. This is not a he said, she said story. This is a God-said story. There's another thing that God does that I think is incredibly powerful. And for those who've experienced sexual assault, if you don't hear anything else, this is the time to really pay attention. Verse three. His heart was drawn to Dinah, daughter of Jacob, He loved, and here's where I, this is an important thing for you. I want you to just underline this. Take note of it. Remember it. Memorize it. This next phrase. The young woman. This is the Holy Spirit describing Dinah after she has been assaulted. And what's not as clear in English, but is super powerful In Hebrew, this is the word for virgin. In fact, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they use a word that can only mean virgin. Someone who is not engaged in sexual activity. And the incredibly powerful thing is that when the Holy Spirit describes Dinah, He describes her the way he sees her, which is not defiled. The world may look at her as having gone through something that has changed her. That those who've experienced sexual assault can feel dirty, numb, unclean. But that's not how God views you. 
in God's eyes, Dinah remains pure and holy. Nothing has changed about her to God. It's a beautiful, powerful, subtle thing. But I love the fact that after she's been assaulted, God refers to her as holy, innocent, pure, and undefiled. There's one more thing that God does, and it's not in this passage. This passage just simply points forward to it. And it's not something that Dinah fully experienced, but it's something we are able to experience. And that is because of what happened to Dinah and so many other things, God sent his own son to be murdered at the hands of humans so that God might bring healing and restoration to all who have been victims so that God might bring forgiveness to those who have responded in ways like Hamor or Jacob or Simeon and Levi so that God might rescue perpetrators from the enslavement to sin and death like Shechem is on. That Jesus came because of Genesis 34. Because of these kinds of situations. That what God did in Genesis 34, as wonderful it is, is not enough. This is the God who brings life from death. And this God is determined that if you have experienced the death of sexual assault, he wants to bring resurrection life to you. And that God is not for Hamor or Jacob or Simeon or Levi, and so he creates a new community, a community of faith to respond to those who have experienced sexual assault. Seven years ago, a very brave woman named Lou stood up here on the platform and shared a story about being sexually molested uh, by her brother. Just a few weeks ago, I got an email from somebody in the church who referenced that Sunday seven years ago. This is what the woman who wrote me a couple of weeks ago said. Back in November of 2015, when Lou shared her testimony with you and her brother came, it absolutely changed my life. I was sexually assaulted on a first date while in law school by another law student. I did not have the courage to report it. I always thought I would be depressed and haunted by that situation. After Lou's testimony, I joined a three-part series Bible study run by Joanna Gordon that completely freed me from that situation and other stuff from my past, including my dysfunctional family trauma. Honestly, I forget it even happened because I completely forgave him and myself. Anyway, I finished that study the year I was diagnosed with cancer. I was so grateful that I had so much healing in my life before my cancer diagnosis 
because I don't think I could have handled the cancer journey at all. I emailed Lou and thanked her too, telling her my diagnosis would have just destroyed me without first having dealt with my past. I only got help after seeing for myself in her testimony that you can overcome severe trauma with God's help. Isn't God so gracious? He has been so good to me and my family. As we close, let me say to those of you who may have perpetrated sexual assault, please understand there is no sin that God cannot and will not forgive in Jesus. He is a gracious and merciful God. But let me say to you in all seriousness, fear the Lord, turn from evil, confess this wickedness. There may be discipline or punishment that comes from God, but you need to be free from the path of death that you are on. Jesus died so that you could be set free. To those of you who are around or love those who've experienced sexual assault. It's not Hamor's selfishness or Jacob's passivity or Simeon and Levi's rage that brings about the goodness of God. God is the model to follow. God who tells our stories. God who is the judge of all things. God who continues to see us as pure and holy and right in his eyes. And God who has provided Jesus. And for those who have experienced sexual assault, please know your heavenly father sees you. He loves you. He views you differently than the world views you and that you view yourself. And he has given his own son that you might have life. He wants to begin in you the healing, the restoration, the recreation, and the blessing that only he can do. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.